We've been looking at the final words that Jesus spoke on that cross. Seven statements spoken in six of the most painful hours that any person has ever endured. It was the Romans who invented crucifixion. Part of their purpose was so the people would hear the sounds of death of anyone who might defy Rome. Crucifixion was a deadly and agonizing combination of bleeding out and suffocating. And this is why crowds were allowed to gather at the foots of these cross, crosses, because Rome wanted everyone to hear the sounds of death and what would be true of them if they decided to go against Rome. But God also wanted everyone to hear what was said at the foot of that particular cross. Today we consider the only statement that Jesus made about the condition of his health on the cross, which is interesting given the concern that we all have uh, on the matters of health right now. These crowds gathered around that cross were used to hearing these kinds of words coming from the cross. When you're dying, it's hard to think of anything else other than what's happening to you physically. Right now, it's hard for us to think of much other than the coronavirus and what might happen to us and what might happen to our world. And that is part of what it means to be human. We have bodies that are fragile. And we die much more easily than we'd like to think. And what Jesus said on that cross 2,000 years ago is timely help for us today as we face this uncertainty. Here's what he said in John 19, 28 through 29. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. After what would have been almost six hours on the cross, the loss of blood and the exposure to the elements would have caused severe dehydration on the part of Jesus by this time. And so this was a common request coming from a cross, which is why the soldiers were prepared for it. As we read, a jar of wine vinegar was there. This jar didn't just happen to be there. It was there for a reason. Wine vinegar was what was often given to those who were dying on a cross. It really accelerated their death and therefore was an act of mercy because it also dulled the pain of the cross. The alcohol and the wine vinegar accelerated dehydration, which also accelerated their death, and then it also dulled the pain. If they had been given water on the cross, it would only prolong the torture. Now, there is much more going on at this moment on the cross for Jesus than just the physical statement of thirst. Notice what is said before Jesus says, I am thirsty. Let's read it again. Later, knowing that all was now complete and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. He didn't just say, I'm thirsty. He said it at a particular moment. Jesus said, I'm thirsty to mark two important moments. The completion of his mission, which was at hand, and, as he said, the fulfillment of Scripture, what Scripture had been saying for centuries now. Jesus, by saying, I'm thirsty, was pointing to a common theme in the Bible, the theme of how our physical thirst for water points to our much deeper thirst and need for God. This kind of thirst, the thirst for God, is something that Jesus had spoken of many times. One such moment occurred at a large feast. This particular feast took place every year in Israel. The purpose of the feast was to remember the long march in their history through the desert. 
They gathered in this feast every year to remember how God had provided water for them again and again in the desert. And this is what we read about what Jesus said at this particular feast earlier. John 7, 37 through 38 says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. So now as Jesus hangs on the cross, he uses his thirst to remind everyone of this living water, of the deeper thirst. The scripture that Jesus was referring to when he offers them living water is found in the Old Testament verse of Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Here's what this says. Jeremiah 2, 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The mission of Jesus was completed on the cross by connecting us, reconnecting us to God. God himself is the spring of living water that we have all forsaken and that we all still thirst for deep inside. He is the source of meaning and of joy and of peace, things that we all thirst for. So why doesn't everyone take the offer of Jesus, this amazing offer of reconnecting us to the source of living water? Well, it's because, as the verse in Jeremiah says, there is a competing water source. There is a competing source of meaning. And those are the cisterns that we have dug for ourselves. Now, each source, the spring of living water and the cisterns, they have their own advantages and disadvantages. Let's consider them both. First, the broken cisterns. Now, a cistern in ancient times was carved out of rock to catch and store groundwater. You could then return to it again and again for the water that is stored there. A spiritual cistern is the attempt to carve out of our life in this world the experiences and the circumstances that help us feel more alive on the inside. It could be a person, a relationship, or it could be a place. It could be an experience. It could be something that we buy, hoping to fill our needs on the inside. Now, of course, it's not wrong to enjoy a relationship or a place or to purchase something that we enjoy. But these items can become spiritual cisterns when we try to extract from them the spiritual water of meaning and purpose that only God himself can give. The advantage of a cistern is that we are in control. We're in control. The reason that we are drawn to cistern digging is that we're in charge of the entire process. We pick the place that we think will bring us the meaning and the joy and the peace that we seek. And then we are the ones that put in the effort to make it all happen. We do all of the digging. And if at any time we don't think we're getting enough spiritual water, meaning out of the cisterns that we're digging, well, we can stop and we can decide to change locations and dig somewhere else. If we're not feeling alive enough on the inside, we don't have to wait for anyone to do anything for us. We don't have to trust anyone else. We just have to either dig deeper or decide that we're going to dig in another place. So the advantage of the cistern approach to the meaning of life is we're in control. We decide where the water is, and we decide when and where to dig. The disadvantage, though, is that we, it turns out, are not in control enough. We're not in control enough. Every ancient cistern had two big problems. 
The first problem was that it would eventually leak. This was just part of the physical challenges of the day. The hot desert sun would expand the rock, and then the cold desert nights would contract the rock, and it would cause cracks to form in the cisterns. Even the best of cisterns, the best constructed cisterns, would would last maybe for a year at most, two years before they started leaking and would have to be abandoned and another cistern dug. The same kind of thing happens with spiritual cisterns, the ones that we dig. The circumstances of life are forever changing, kind of like the desert temperatures. We, therefore, go to the same places, maybe, or the same relationships, or the same experiences that once brought us a certain amount of joy, a certain amount of meaning, and we discover that they deliver less of the joy and less of the meaning that they used to. The water level is lower than it used to be. That's because, as with all cisterns, they leak. But cisterns don't just leak. The second problem with the ancient cisterns, which is true of the spiritual cisterns, is that the water that they store becomes a feeding ground for the development and spread of disease. Disease, it turns out, has always been one of the quickest ways for humankind to realize that we are not in charge of near as much as we thought we were. Now a tiny virus, smaller than the human eye can see, Something that didn't even exist 90 days ago is bringing the entire world to its knees. The COVID-19 virus, honestly, is all we hear about now. We challenge to, th- to think about anything else other than that. And there's all kinds of questions that we are all asking. What's going to happen? How many people will die? Will we get sick? Will anyone we know die? How much money is going to be lost? For me, one of the questions we're wrestling with is, will we be able to attend my father-in-law's funeral next week? The answer to all of these questions are, we, we don't know. The information is changing so rapidly, it's just so uncertain. So everyone is having to make contingency plans. That's what we're doing here at Seabreeze. This is the first time for me in 30 years that I've stood up on a stage, spoken to a camera in a mostly empty room. I didn't ever see this day coming. And this is the kind of experience everyone's having. We're all experiencing things that we had not thought might happen, and we never even imagined would happen in our lifetime. But this virus is bringing us to our knees. And this is not the first time, of course, a disease has brought the world to its knees. This has happened many, many times. What is rather unique about this time is how connected our world is becoming. And because we are so connected, what that means is that all of our cisterns, individually dug around the world, are more connected now to each other than they ever have been before. So, for example, one person digs a financial cistern in this country, in America. And just two weeks ago, they were probably feeling pretty good about the water level in their financial cistern. But then, a virus is born in a meat market in China. And because we are so connected both physically and financially, that virus travels around the world and is draining all kinds of money out of most of the financial cisterns in the world. Now, COVID-19, of course, is a real problem that we need to take prudent action to deal with. But I think it is also a tremendous invitation from God to think more deeply about life than the puddles of water that we tend to live for. The problem is not the cisterns themselves. It's what they replace. What God says in Jeremiah is this. Again, they have forsaken me. That was the first decision 
And then they've gone to dig cisterns. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns to replace me. There's nothing wrong inherently with digging a cistern. The problem is when these cisterns replace God. I mean, I've got cisterns that I've dug. I have a retirement cistern that's a whole lot smaller than it was just two weeks ago. Now, I did not dig that cistern in defiance of God or to replace God. No, I've been digging it wisely to prepare for the future. But digging has a way of affecting our hearts. And I'll be honest, as I saw the water level rise in that particular cistern last year, my outlook on the future got a little brighter. But now, as that cistern has sprung a major leak, I have to admit my outlook on the future has dimmed slightly. Why? Well, I have to admit, gradually over time, as I thought about my financial future, my heart began to drink more from this broken cistern this leaky cistern, than from God, my hope, the source of living water. Now, I didn't perceive that I was doing this. But now, because of COVID-19, I am being faced with that reality. I now do see this. And I've been brought to my knees. And I've had to admit this before God. The world right now, as I've said, is being brought to its knees. And that is a great place to be. It's the best place to be. The question is always this, when we're on our knees, is will we look up from this position or will we just keep digging? That brings us to the second source of water, and that is the spring of living water. The advantage of the spring of living water is that God is the source. God is the source. In this nation, we spend an estimated $12 billion each year to drink water that's been bottled from a spring. Why? Well, it's because spring water comes from deep in the earth. So that means it hasn't been as contaminated as water that just sits on the surface. That makes it a more reliable source, a healthier source. Now, as we've been saying, our souls need God in a similar way that our bodies need water. And he is the only deep enough and reliable source of life for our souls. And having a source of life that is not shaken by the ever-changing circumstances of what's going on on the surface of this life is a reason for tremendous and great stability in the moment like this. I mean, there's a lot of fear in our world right now. Some of it is irrational, but a lot of it is not. There's a lot of unknown. There is a virus that is spreading, and it is killing people. My wife has a lung condition that puts her at risk. So I have a reason to fear. But what I need and what I'm so grateful for is a deeper reason not to fear, a God reason. That's a tremendous advantage. God is the source. The disadvantage, though, is this. Our access is restricted. It's restricted. In this way, Jesus said that this spring is accessed only by faith. Again, what he says is, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Why would anyone choose to drink puddle water 
over spring water? Well, the main reason is this. Puddle water is everywhere. It's easier to find. Spring water comes from deep down in the earth, and it's much harder to find. The same thing is true with spiritual water. The sources of meaning in this world are, well, they're everywhere. The spring of living water, that can only be accessed by faith. Have you ever seen something out on the road in front of you that looks like water? And by the time you get there, it's gone. Yeah, that, that's a mirage. A mirage is caused by hot air that bends and reflects light rays from the atmosphere. Our eyes are not making up what we're seeing. We really are seeing light rays. The problem is, it looks like water, but it isn't water. It's an optical illusion that looks like water. And so we travel there only to discover what looked like a big puddle or a big lake is not water. We do the same thing on the inside. We're thirsty, and we see something that looks like living water to us. We maybe see a possession, or we see a person, the possibility of a relationship, or, or we see a place, and boy, that just looks like spiritual water. We see it off in the distance, and it promises to quench our thirst on the inside, and so we begin to move that way. But what we're seeing is the reflection of light from a great distance. Not the atmosphere, but from God. We are seeing in these items here on earth the reflection of God. In the possession, we're seeing the reflection of God's approval that we all long for. It says that we matter. In the person, what we're seeing is the deep relationship with God that we were created for, that no person can ever match. In the place we are literally seeing the reflection of heaven. But when we get there, we find that we're still thirsty on the inside. And that's because it was a mirage. The relationship maybe erupts into conflict. The possession gets old, as all possessions do. And the place has problems like every place here on earth does. The reality is we're living in the spiritual desert. We cannot visually see our way to spiritual water. And so Jesus came to lead us to the spring of living water, to blaze a trail back to the spring of living water. So why do so few follow him? It's because it requires faith. We can't see the trail where he's going. We can, however, see the mirage. And maybe, just maybe this time, it's real. And with mirage, our eyes chart the course. But with Jesus, we have to trust his words and follow him through the desert. While everyone is shouting, look, there's water over there. We have to keep following in faith. What faith means is that you have surrendered control of your I am thirsty problem to God. Now, this following Jesus in faith is not a journey of distance. It's a journey of depth. And that's because the spring of living water is underground, not overground. The mirage lifestyle keeps us moving from one false hope to the next until we finally run out of mirages. We lose hope. But what the journey of faith does is it deepens our roots right where we are. The cross of Jesus 
is the place where we invited or we are invited to plant our lives. It's where we bring our thirst every day. And faith isn't just a thought exercise. It's not just an emotion exercise. It's a living exercise. What I mean by that is living water enters our life very much in the same way that roots draw water into plant life. We don't just take a gulp of water and run off. They're absorbed slowly over time as we turn the words of God into decisions, into daily life. It's as we obey in faith that we turn God's words into life, kind of the same way roots turn water into leaves. Now, what happens next as we begin to grow and and draw our resources on the inside from God, the spring of living water, what happens next is almost as amazing as the joy and the meaning and the peace that come from the living water itself. We are told that streams of living water start flowing from us, not just to us, but now out from us. To where? Well, to the people around us. The new life that the living water is growing in us actually becomes a a spring itself, a source of help and refreshment to others. The reason God wants to bring us meaning and purpose and joy, living water, is not so that we might grow into this impressive and giant singular oak tree, but that we might be the beginning of a garden that refreshes and blesses all kinds of people. The coronavirus pandemic is one of the moments in life that I think tends to reveal where we've been drinking. If we are, for the most part, cistern drinkers, we will respond more in fear than we will in faith. But if we are drinking the living water, we will, of course, take prudent steps to deal with this. But more importantly, we will turn our faith into a spring of living water into real love and care for our neighbors. You know, what tends to happen in situations like this is a, in fear, a kind of everyone-for-themselves mentality begins to take hold. If you want to see this at work, just go to Costco and try to get toilet paper. You'll begin to see how this works. That's why people are hoarding toilet paper and sanitizer. It's not so that they can resource their neighbors. It's so that they can make sure they got enough for themselves. This is just part of what happens when fear begins to take hold. In the third century, the Cyprian plague devastated Rome. Many historians point to this disease as the final blow leading to the fall and the collapse of the Roman Empire. But what was interesting in history is that right as Rome collapsed in wake of this great plague, the Christian faith began to rise. Why? Most historians agree that it was how the Christians responded to the Cyprian plague. In 2016, in the Atlantic, author Caroline Wazer says this about that moment in history. She says, seeing the pestilence as an opportunity to put their most most deeply held beliefs into action, early Christians set about caring for the sick and giving proper burials to the dead. On the other side of the religious divide, the pagan establishment was overwhelmed with fear. It's hard for them to get an actual read to what the numbers are, 
But every historian agrees that it was the Christians for the most part who stayed in Rome and cared for the sick and buried the dead while most everyone else fled in panic. And that was when the world began to see in large scale that this is real. And it began to cause the rise of the Christian faith in this world. So now... We are, as followers of Christ, not to be the ones with the most toilet paper, but the ones with the most love. So don't panic. I mean, be wise with your health and your hygiene, but look for ways to love the people that God has placed around you. One idea might be if you've got a bunch of toilet paper, just go door to door around your neighborhood and say, hey, I know it's been hard to come by. I got some extra. Do you have any? Do you have any needs? You know, I'd be happy to give you some toilet paper. But whatever it is, look for ways to really love people around you. And you're following the one who in the weakened voice of a dying man on that cross said, I am thirsty. He said that to fulfill what he had said earlier in a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Do not settle for a mirage. Now, in light of what is happening in our world right now, I've decided to suspend this current message series about the last words of Jesus. We have three more statements to consider, and later this year, hopefully, we will return to complete this series. But next Sunday, I'm going to be starting a new series we're calling Uncharted Waters. We're going to be talking about how to navigate the uncertainty that we're all facing right now and be guided by the truth of God, and not end up on the rocks. So I think it's going to be really, really helpful. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, the spring of living water, the source that is deeper and resource and provides us with resources that are beyond our ability. And we admit, especially in what we're facing right now, is, is we need help. We need perspective from you. We need physical help. We pray that you would protect life. you protect us. You'd protect life in this world. God, we pray that very quickly this virus would be countered. And we ask for help with that. And we also pray that in the middle of, of this worldwide challenge, God, that as people are brought to their knees, that they would look up rather than down. We pray that you would draw many people to yourself, the source of living water. Help us as we navigate our own challenges. Help us in our neighborhoods and with our friends. God, we pray that you'd show us practical ways that we can love and be of service in this community. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.